I didn't really go to church until I was about fourth grade. My mom and dad, I think, had that epiphany that a lot of parents do, that we've got kids. I don't even know if they believe in God. Now, this was back in the 60s, you know, where they just put it in the Pledge of Allegiance, all this. So I think they freaked out a little bit and said, we've got to go to church. So we went to church, St. Cross uh, Episcopal Church down in Hermosa Beach, and we went on Sundays, and we would go, we would park, uh, my sister and I would go to a Sunday school, we'd come back up, and we'd go to a service, and then we'd go home, and that was pretty much it. And so my experience of church was you go, you spend an hour and a half, and then you go home and pretty much try to forget everything that you learned. Uh, because you didn't want it to impact your life at all and, and change anything. And after a while, my mom and dad kind of thought, well, this is kind of valuable time. They got a Sunday school for the kids. Let's just drop them off, and then we can have breakfast, pick them up. That'll be cool. Now, I, I'd like to say that I was the smart one in my family, but I wasn't. My sister, younger than me, was much smarter than me. And one Sunday, after a couple weeks of doing this, she asked the question, if church is so important, why don't you go? We stopped going at that point. We just stopped going. Well, then I became a Christian in, in junior high. And the woman that uh, was very influential in me coming to Christ was a neighbor. And so she said, if you're a Christian, you need to go to church. And so I went to church. And it was pretty much the same type of thing. It was like we'd go to church, we'd sit, we'd listen. They had a Sunday school where all the kids knew each other, and they didn't really know me, so I didn't fit in very well. And that was about it. And then uh, my mom uh, became a Christian, and we started going to another church. Uh, same deal. We'd sit in a pew, and we'd listen to the pastor, and they did different things, and then we'd go home, and that was pretty much it. And that was my experience. That's what church was. That's what fellowship was. It was going to church. It was listening to a message. And, and so basically it was this idea of you sat in an auditorium. And my understanding of being a Christian was that being a Christian meant you were part of an audience. And hopefully the pastor would be good that morning or whatever, and he'd give you a good message and you'd like it. If he wasn't, then it was bad, and you'd go home and you'd talk about that. But that was the sum of part of my experience as a Christian. That's what fellowship was. It was just sitting in a church and then going home. And then I, I started going to uh, a Baptist church in Manhattan Beach. And it was the same type of thing, but they had a youth group. And I got involved in the youth group, and I started spending time with friends there. And, and then I went on a, a, a high school retreat. And all of a sudden, this idea of Christianity and this concept of fellowship became a whole different matter to me. We... They tried to get us back into the indoctrination thing where you'd go to a program, they'd have music, there were guys who was preaching and, and all that, and there was snow and there was fun. But what changed my whole concept of, of what fellowship was is what happened in the cabin that night. Some I can share, some I can't. Because it was guys in the cabin. Yeah. Thank you, Kenny. <laughs> yeah, Kenny's a youth pastor, so he knows what I'm talking about. But, but there were some good things that happened in and I remember one of the guys that went up, he was our, our youth leader, or wasn't our youth leader, he was just a guy that kind of got, they needed a guy counselor. He went up with us, and he began to share about his life. And I, I'll never forget him basically telling us that uh, he married his wife um, 
but was really struggling in that relationship. He loved her, but um, they had, were in a situation where they had to get married, and the pressure he felt, but how much he was depending on Jesus to guide him through that process, to help him in his relationship to his wife, to his family, to his kids. And that he made a lot of mistakes because he didn't have what he was trying to give us in that cabin, which was a young adult leader that maybe we could relate to, that we could understand. And, and so the guys, that, I mean, something happened in that cabin that night where all of us that were there felt a kinship. We weren't in an auditorium. It was something very, very different. And then as I continued to go to that church, I, I got involved. I, I began to work with the youth. I, I was a youth pastor. And then I started working with college guys. And again, trying to do things in a classroom setting where they were the audience and I was the speaker and trying to change their lives. And, and it just didn't seem to work. It didn't connect. It didn't jive. And, and so I decided, well, I'm going to do something beyond that. So I started having these guys over to my house on, on Monday nights. We'd come, you'd have to read a passage, do some worksheets, and, and you had to apply yourself. It wasn't just a, a low-level commitment. It was a pretty high level. And these guys would come. And what we recognized is that most of us did not come from a Christian background. We didn't have any males in our life that, that we looked to as mentors, that we looked to as, as guys that, that knew more than we did. And so there was a, a gentleman in our church, his name was George Bryan, and George was just a godly man. He was in his late 70s, uh, and so we invited him to come. And he, he would basically come and kind of let us talk, and then he'd just every once in a while throw in these little pearls of wisdom. And now it wasn't an auditorium anymore. It was a living room. It was a situation where we interacted with each other. We shared our heartaches. We shared our joys. We shared the things that we were struggling with. And I know that all the guys in that room will never forget one rainy night where we were there with George, and George was supposed to be the one in charge of the Bible study. We started at 7. We always kind of talked for about 15 or 20 minutes or so. And at 20 after, we were supposed to start the Bible study, and there was a clap of thunder. And George, at that moment, got up and said, Gentlemen, said, I know I'm in charge of the Bible study, but I can't stay. My wife, Mary Ross, is home, and I'm sure that with the thunder, she's going to be frightened. And I need to be home with her tonight. So I hope you guys will understand. And he left. That was a lesson I will never forget. For those young guys sitting in that room, thinking that this was the most important thing in the world, we learned something about George. That his faith was real. That his relationship with his wife had been, he'd been married for 55 plus years to her. And then out of that sensitivity, he knew that he couldn't be with us, he needed to be with her. Something I've never forgotten. It was a living room, not an auditorium. So let's take a look at some scriptures this morning. I want to first of all start with, uh, I think, the penultimate scripture with regard to the idea of the kingdom being a kingdom of fellowship. And that would be in Acts chapter 2. So if you would turn to Acts chapter 2, and this is a, a very familiar passage to many people, because I think it's the description of what church life is supposed to be about. And there's four fundamentals, four basic concepts that I think throughout history are irrefutable. If you want to have a successful church, if you want to have a Christ-centered church, this is the passage that we look to. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They just had this explosion. The whole church is inundated with, with people. And how are they going to, what were they going to do? How are they going to treat these people? So it says in verse 42, they devoted themselves. They committed themselves. They made it their practice day in and day out. It was a choice. It was a, 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 ret, a retinue. It was a, a ritual. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to know from the, the mouths of those that had walked with Jesus what it was to follow Jesus. And to the fellowship. And it's interesting because that article is important. It's not to fellowship. It's not this idea of an action as much as it, this, this whole concept that would permeate their existence. The fellowship. And then to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Those were the four activities that Christians were to be committed to, to devoted to. Now the word that is used there, the fellowship, is a word that I think many of you might have heard in other sermons and stuff like that. It's the word koinonia. Koinonia. Koinos means common. And the word itself is, is a very, very important word. There's, there's several aspects to it, but it means literally to share, to have in common, to participate, partnership. And this is a very important thing for us to understand if we're going to be kingdom people. If we want to follow Jesus, that we are to be committed, devoted to the fellowship. But fellowship is a weighty thing. It's a blessed thing. It's an important thing. But it's, 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 it's powerful. But it costs something. This idea of sharing. This idea of participating. To have something in common. And so as we look at this word. Basically that's all I did. I just did a word study in the New Testament. Of what it means to have fellowship. To have things in common. And I found four specific things that are true of this word fellowship that, that we need to embrace if we're going to be sincere followers of Jesus, if we're going to be successful in our relationship with Jesus. The first idea is that sharing in a personal connection, that this fellowship begins with God doing something in you and me. It's pretty hard to have koinonia with other Christians if we haven't had this experience in our own life. Because it's the point of contact. It's the primary thing that we have to have in common. And it's this. God, who has called you into fellowship, and that's the word I want you to see, because that's the word koinonia, fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, is faithful. All Christian fellowship begins primarily with fellowship with Jesus. Having a relationship with Jesus. Having a connection with Jesus. I remember in that Bible study I was telling you about earlier, we had a, a, a guy named Greg. Greg was an intellectual. The guys had met him at uh, El Camino, and he would argue with them. They were in uh, a psychology class together. And so they said, hey, Greg, well, you should come to this Bible study. And Because we can't answer questions, but do can. So he would come to these things, and he would challenge me, and he, he was so smart, so intellectual. And asked great questions. And, but he was skeptical. He said, why do you believe this? Etc. Etc. And we kept saying, well, it's by faith. And because Jesus has changed our lives. And he just didn't get the idea of that. 
uh, and it was great having him there, and it kept us all honest, but, it, but, we could, but he didn't fit in a sense. And when we would pray, he just he didn't understand that. He, there was no passion. There was no understanding. But we just kept encouraging, well, read the Bible. See what Jesus says. And one day, one week, he came and said, I finally took you guys up on it. I've been arguing and arguing. And last night, I was up till 2 in the morning reading the Bible. Couldn't believe what I was seeing there. He said, I saw Jesus in a whole different light. And I asked Jesus into my life. And he said, it was those scales fell from my eyes. All of a sudden, I couldn't stop reading. And it was just so powerful to me. And now it's like I see you guys in a completely different light. Now, now you're not uh, people that are strange to me or whatever. But now I understand. You're my brothers. That we have this in common. And he said, I couldn't wait to get here tonight. And he became a vital member of that Bible study. Went on to, to become a deacon in a church. Uh, and, and just profound experience with God, because that's where it begins, with Jesus. Peter tells us this, through, through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate, that's that word koinonia again, participate in the divine nature, that we tap into the nature of God through this, through this fellowship. And escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. So we, we, we are pursuing a different path. There's something better in store for us. We don't want to go the old way that's corrupting us and taking us out. We want something that's more important than that. And then finally, the Apostle Paul says this. And I, I, I wonder how true this is of me uh, and for many of us. And why we feel like our, 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 our relationships are lacking. Why they seem to be so shallow. Why we're not getting what we want. Because Paul says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and, there's that word again, the fellowship. And if you understand that idea of fellowship, not the understanding, but the participation, the sharing in of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's where genuine Christian fellowship begins. That we understand that God's called us into a relationship with His Son. That we, we are established in that. That He puts us on a new path. But even more importantly, that we want to, be, to know what Jesus knew. We want to share in what He experienced. Participate in that in our lives. So it begins there. And once we're there, then all of a sudden we need something. Uh, I have a lot of kids. I teach sixth grade. And I think I've shared this before, but uh, if, if I had a kid in my class and he kept wearing soccer shirts and had a soccer ball and all this stuff, and I'd say, man, what, do you love soccer? Oh, I love soccer. Soccer is great. It's fantastic. I, fantastic. I just love it. And he says, well, are you on a team? Oh, no. I'm not on a team. I just love to play soccer. How many of you would be perplexed by that? How do you play soccer if you're not on a team? And so you might ask the kids, so why don't you, well, I don't like the team player. I don't like the players. I just like to play soccer. Maybe there's a lot of Christians like that, don't you think? I love Christianity. I love all this stuff. Well, what church do you go to? Oh, I don't go to a church. How, how can that be? Our speaker last week mentioned a very important point and kind of dovetails with what he was talking about last week is 
There are a hundred one another's in the New Testament. What does that tell us? The application of Christianity, the life of Christianity, has to be in community. Otherwise, it's pointless. How do you love one another? How do you uh, bear one another's burdens? How do you pray for one another all by yourself? Now, there's times when we need to go off in solitude. Jesus did that. But for the most of his time, he was with those 12 guys. He was pouring his life into them. They were living in a living room, not in an auditorium. And, and so, now we move on to the next three ideas. We start with a relationship with Jesus. Okay, now the second thing is that we share a common faith. We share a common faith. It's important to know what we believe and why we believe it. And to build each other up in that faith. To open the Bible. What does it say about Jesus? What does it say about salvation? What does it say about important moral issues of the day? What does it say about politics? What does it say about these things? What is our common faith? So Titus, uh, to Paul's, Paul says to Titus, to Titus, my true son, in our, and there's that word again, common faith. Not just that it's a statement outside of us, but common that we share in it, we participate in it. We build each other up in a common faith. Then another important one, and, and again, just finding this word in unusual places. that I didn't expect to find it, but this is an important one. 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Boy, I think this is a real timely one for a church like us, where we're young, have a lot of young people making lifelong decisions in terms of who their lifetime partner is going to be, who their business partners are going to be, who their best friends are going to be. And then Paul's not saying, don't have relationships, don't be in contact with people that aren't of similar faith. That's not what he's saying at all. But the idea of being yoked together, you had to have two oxen that were of, of, of similar capabilities, of similar power. Because if you didn't, what would happen? They'd pull one to the left. You would never have a straight furrow. The field would be completely chaotic. It would be a mess. And so you put two yoke, you put two oxen together that were equals. And when it comes to our faith and spirituality, that is so important. And I've, I've met people in the heartache that they did they didn't follow this, this guideline, this very important principle in scripture. Well, it doesn't really matter if we believe the same thing. Lots of people do it. And I, find, I think down the line, and the great equalizer, because I, I do a lot of weddings, I, I, I join people together, and this is paramount to me. It's okay if you both don't believe. It's okay if you both believe. But if one believes and the other doesn't, I'm not doing you any favors by putting the two together. Because one day, hopefully, you'll have children. And then what do you do in that situation? It will tear you apart. And I've had guys say, well, you know, I'm not church going so like that, but my wife can raise the kid any way he wants or she wants. And, but wait a minute, but you're not going to participate. You're not going to be a model. You're not going to be an example. So what is that going to tell your, your child? And after a while, your, your wife's going to resent it. It's going it's to hurt her. So important to be equally yoked. And not just romantically, but, but professionally. 
the partnerships that we, we participate in, our best friends. I'm not saying that you can't have close friends that aren't Christians. I think that's important. But, but the ones that we turn to, the ones that we look to for, as iron sharpens iron, I think uh, Paul's being very clear here that we need to have something in common with them, which is our faith. So we share a common faith. Another thing about this fellowship that we're involved in, and, and I think we leave on this table oftentimes, but it's so important, is a common cause. That as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a cause that it, it motivates us and drives us. It's the reason that we exist as a church. I believe with all my heart that the, the primary purpose of the church is not the people in it, but the people outside of it. That we exist primarily for the benefit of our non-members. I know that's what the, at the heart of Kenny and Brittany going to two services. It's not for us. How many of you are happy with the way things are? I think most would say, no, this is great. There's, I mean, there's plenty of room for us. Last week, I don't know if you noticed, but there wasn't room for all of us. We, had, we were putting up chairs, and we still didn't have room. And so two services to make sure that we have room so that the people can join us, that the people can be a part of it. That's the purpose of our existence. That's why we're here. And it, it creates a natural tension in us. What I found and what I discovered, I, I, I was called to be an interim pastor at a church out in the valley, out, out in Sunland. And I went there, and my job, I was an interim. They just lost a pastor. It was kind of a heartache, a heartbreaking situation. And they wanted me to come spend three months there and just give them an assessment at the time I was done. And so I, I got there. The people were fabulous. Nice people, great people. But I would, I would kind of sit in the back while I was waiting to get up to preach, and I would just kind of watch. And what it was like, it was like a family reunion. You know what the family reunion's like? If you're in the family, are they pretty fun? Because you see Uncle Joe, you have your place, right? And, oh, man, I haven't seen him so long. And, and all this and all that. And you have common history and, and stories to tell. But have you ever been to a family reunion as the friend or the spouse of someone that wasn't in the family? What's that like? It's pretty awkward. It's pretty strange. And, I, and, and so after the three months, they asked for my report. And I said, you know, there's a lot of things that are great here. You've got good Bible teaching. You're committed to missions, you're, you're, you love each other very much, but I said, you're not reaching people. Oh, we're, doing all this. we're the most loving church in the whole world. And I go, you know, every church, when you're in it, you feel like it's the most loving church in the world. But you can't keep asking yourselves that question. It's like, we're a loving family, but what about people that aren't in it that are coming into it? How do they feel? Well, what do you mean? They had no idea. They had no idea that people coming in, they felt they couldn't get in. They couldn't penetrate. They couldn't, because they were missing the whole point of what church was about. It wasn't for them exclusively. It's not wrong to come. How many of you enjoy seeing people here at church? I do. I love catching up with them and stuff like that. But I guess what I'm going to get to eventually is that this is not church. This is the auditorium. This is the audience. This is where we come and we get good teaching and stuff. This is kind of where we get our marching orders. But the cause of the church, the, the thing that we're driven by is to bring people and to make disciples of Jesus. 
And when we lose sight of that, a church becomes ingrown. We don't need two services. Because every church is always just the right size for the last person that found their way into it. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, this is just the right size. One of the big problems we had with the church I started in Manhattan Beach was we started in a living room. Now, why do you think that was? Because I recognized the church shouldn't be an audience. It shouldn't be in an auditorium. It's a family. So we met in a living room. People had cups of coffee. We had sweet rolls. We had fruit. The kids were running around. And it was a living room. And we had 20 people, and we had 25, and then we had 35, and uh, the person in the house said, uh, our living room is getting a little bit trashed. Could we do something different? So we did what almost every church I've ever known that got birth did. I think Kenny would have a similar situation with RCC. You kind of grew this nice little space, so you get an auditorium, and you invite people to come. And all the people in that, that living room felt threatened. And I think some of you are feeling the same way about going to two services. Well, what's going to happen there? Don't lose sight of where our cause is. Don't lose sight of where our cause is. This is what Paul says in Philippians. In all my prayers for you all, I always pray with joy because of what? Your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. That you were doing everything possible to make sure that the gospel was being shared with people around the world. That I could come to you. That that was what you were all about. You were about making sure that Jesus was proclaimed in every corner. I'm so proud of our little church and, and the, the partnership we have with different missionaries. The desire we have to send teams to Mexico. Uh, to wherever we can to get people in the game. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our cause. That's why we exist. And if we lose sight of that, then we become irrelevant. Satan's won. The game pretty much is over. Because we're just concerned about ourselves. And that's Satan's primary goal. And he's very effective at it. Taking our eyes off the prize and, and having us do what we want to do instead of really understanding we have a common cause. Then the last thing. And this is, this is where I just, my passion. And that is we share in a common concern. We share in a common concern. I think we all have a story. Some of you are brand new to RCC. Some of you have been here from the very beginning. I, I was fortunate enough to, to be here from day one uh, when we started up at the Methodist Church and uh, kind of came through, my wife Eloise and I, and, and to see us grow from like 30 to 40 and and uh, to last week, you know, where we're basically putting up chairs and people standing outside. And uh, it's been exciting to see what God has done. But I didn't really fit. I mean, I was trying to fit. I was trying to make friends with people. But a lot of people came from a, a common background. Uh, another church, they had lots of friends and things. And they would go out after church and they would do all these things. And, uh, I, you know, I got involved in serving um, I was uh, worked with the, the finance team to where we were trying to help put together budgets and stuff. And so that was helpful because I got to know some really great people through that and serving with them. But I didn't really feel a part of what was happening. I didn't feel connected. And then our church did something that I think was probably, 
I think if you wanted to kind of find when we really started to grow significantly, we started community groups. When we have three or four to start off with. And so I said, okay, um, let's go, Louis. We're going to go to this community group. And our community group was uh, an interesting one. I wouldn't say that I had a lot in common with the people there. Uh, probably didn't have anything in common with them. Except that we met every week. And we opened the scriptures. And we had a question. And uh, one of the families there was uh, in the process. They, they, were, uh, being, they were foster fam- foster parents. And then I remember when they got their first foster child. And they brought her to that group. That transcended everything. I, people bring their baby to, to church for the first time a lot. And as a guy, I just kind of miss it. Because all the girls are surrounding and stuff. But I couldn't miss it in that group and see the love in that family's eyes and just the, the thrill that they were going through. There was a connection. There was a bond there. And I think that's true for every one of us that have joined in. That's what fellowship is. Fellowship is sharing. It's being concerned. Participating. And this is what it says in Romans. Share. That's the word koinonia. Share with God's people who are in need. And it's coupled with practice hospitality. I would say the thing I'm saddest about when you when you look at how Christianity has morphed over the years. From the, the very beginning, it met in homes. It was not an auditorium-based experience. The church was not a group of people that formed an audience, but they met in homes. They shared each other's burdens. They 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 care deeply about each other. And somehow, we've got this idea that church is a place that you go to once a week, hear a good message, you go home, and then that's what we do. But that's that's not what fellowship is. That's not what the kingdom is all about. The kingdom is about something different than them. It's about participating. Something that I would ask by way of a challenge is this idea of fellowship, who's working harder at it? Are you working hard at it? Or are you expecting the people that are not yet inside to work harder at it? It's a two-way street. Uh, if you don't put anything in, you're not going to get anything out. And I think some people give up really easily. But what I found at Sunland, and a lot of churches I've been at, is that we put we make it really hard for people to get in. And there's... An application that Paul gives here in Romans, share with people in need. What does it say after that? Practice hospitality. When do you finally feel like you know someone? I feel like I know you when I've been in your home. When I see the pictures. When I see the table. When I see uh, you know, how big or how small it is. Uh, when I, just how you interact. Because How many of you are comfortable in your home? I'm comfortable in mine. I love being here. I feel like you get to know me when you come to my home. You get to know Eloisa because you see what a great cook she is. You see what a heart she has. Hospitality is essential. And if you've never had a person from your church into your home or been in the home of somebody from your church, are you really understanding what fellowship is? Do you really get it? Now, that's why these community groups are so awesome. Because we get into somebody's home. It's comfortable. We feel at peace. We feel at rest. 
share with God's people in need. In my own experience, that Bible study back when I was in, in college, uh, growing up in, in our church, uh, the church I started in Manhattan Beach, uh, I remember when my, my mom passed away. She passed away rather unexpectedly. She'd been sick for quite a while. Um, but we had a small group that met in my house. And it was pretty much our youth staff. But we met every other week. And we met for dinner. And then we had, you know, we talked about youth ministry. We prayed for each other. And my mom died early on a Monday morning. Like one in the morning. And I was with my dad. And I was sort of numb. I was kind of like, I, I didn't. I couldn't get my mind around the fact that my mom was gone. Uh, trying to minister to my dad. And our, our community group was supposed to meet that night. And I remember that um, word got out. I might called the office to let them know that I wasn't going to be able to get in church that day and what had happened. And uh, Very quickly, being the pastor of the church, word got around and I started getting um, phone calls, etc., etc., then I got a couple of phone calls from people in the group um, just asking if we wanted to cancel that night, that they would understand. And I remember, no, the last thing I want to do is cancel that study. I want you to come. I really need to be with you guys tonight. And so they came over, you know, it, wasn't, it was not a typical community group meeting at all. But they shared with me in my time of grief and sorrow. They were my family. I was safe. I didn't have to put on any airs. I didn't have to take care of them. They just wanted to be close to me. And I wanted to be close to them. It was a living room. It wasn't an auditorium. My tears were real. I, I, I didn't cry a lot. I, I still don't cry a lot. But I cried that night. And I think the, the bonds that were forged are, are permanent. It doesn't happen instantaneously. Do you understand that? It doesn't happen instantaneously. We have to spend time. We live in this instant gratification culture where we want to go like to one or two community groups and think, okay, I'm in. It can take months. It can take a couple of years. But it's worth it. That's what fellowship is. Um, we can have the worship team come up. I know it's, it's early, but... Uh, Close with this, and this is where our, our speaker last week closed, from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. The author says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And the word habit is what I want you to focus on. A habit is something that is the result of a repeated activity. How many of you have some good habits? How many of you brush your teeth regularly? That's a habit, is it not? Okay. How many of you get up and get dressed in the morning? All of you, right? Okay. That's a habit. Um, and then we have other habits that aren't so good. Gentlemen, your wives are gone, but leaving the toilet seat up. It's a habit. Something that happens as a result of continual uh, repetition. The habit of being in church is a very, very important one. 
and one that has great benefits. I, I, I did a lot of research this morning on, okay, so what are the benefits of going to church? And they are significant. One of the things that they found, and, and this was, these weren't Christian sites. This was CNN. This was Huffington Post. This was a, a lot of different uh, agencies. But going to church regularly increases your life by about 33%. I mean, it's just because it, it anchors you. It, it gives you all these, it helps you to prevent doing some, some, some negative things in your life. The impact it has on kids, taking your kids, and this is both the mother and the father, not just sending them to church, but taking your kids to church and going as a family. The, the fact that it reduces so many of the negative factors, depression, alcohol use, drug use, um, uh, all these different things. It's phenomenal because of one simple habit. Now, is it a guarantee? I, I wish it were. It's not. But it has so many different positive aspects. And then another thing that I saw this is it says, encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That idea of the day, you guys know what the day is? Fritz, you know? The day of Jesus returning. How many of you are thinking he might be getting close to the point where enough is enough? You guys have messed this up bad enough. I can't take anymore. I'm coming back. It could be in our lifetime. It could be another 2,000 years. I don't know. But there's something that caught my eye in this, this whole campaign stuff and some of the follow-through. Our president, he set a goal. He made a promise that... If you're a Christian and you pay attention to end times, that should kind of get your attention a little bit. And that is, he wants to move our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. And you think, well, why not? I mean, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. But it's also the capital of the Palestinian state. And the Palestinians have made it very clear that if you do that, it'll be a slap in our face. Etc. But the Israel Israel is saying, but that's our capital. And I remember seeing a news thing where they had a building, a vacant building in the background that they were saying that would make an ideal embassy for the United States. The mayor of uh, Jerusalem is a pretty conservative Jewish guy. He wants to welcome us with open arms. Now, I don't know what's going to happen there. I don't know if you're in favor of it or against it or whatever. I'm just saying that's kind of one of those things that that's a match to what could be events leading to the final days. And even if it's not, how many of you are feeling a little bit under siege as a Christian? Social media, things that people are, you know, just kind of overwhelmed. I am. And I, I work in a school, it's a pretty liberal environment, and it's, it's like I, I, people, they don't even know what I think, they just assume what I think. They, they're not my friend. They're not calling me. We're not doing things anymore. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling alone. And so that's why I look forward to, to going to Ian's this Wednesday, hanging out with people of like faith, people of, that, that care about each other, that, that care about my life, that I care about their lives. That's what it is to be a kingdom person. That's what it is to have fellowship. That's what it is to be together, to participate, to share. Now, in all things, it comes down to a choice. It's a simple thing. It's a choice that you make. And what choice will you make? Can, you, can we still have community groups functioning? Are they still up and running? 
They still are. Are they still taking people? Or are they yeah. all shut down? There's seven. Seven community groups. Now I'm not saying it's the cure-all, but I'm saying it's a step. And here's one thing I've learned in my life as a Christian, as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus. I believe that growth, if you want to grow as a Christian, it happens only one way that I've ever found. That is by making a commitment to God and then keeping the commitment to God. And I'm not saying it's it's based on works, etc., etc. That's not what I'm advocating here. What I am saying is that God encourages us to take a step. And when we take a step and we promise and we make a commitment and we honor that commitment, we begin to grow. We see God work in our life. When we put those aside, you know, you know like I hope, I hope my husband's hearing this, or I hope my wife, or I hope my kid, or I hope that guy next door is hearing this, and we don't apply it to ourselves, we're kind of going down the wrong path. So it's a choice. Will you be a person of the kingdom? Will you engage in fellowship? Will you be a part? Will you join us? And those of you that are already joined, those of you that are here, will you be aware of the fact that not everyone feels in? And that going up and inviting someone over for dinner, watching the Super Bowl, whatever it is, I'll, I'll extend open. My wife's making chili. It's, the, it's great chili. It's turkey and salami. I mean, it's just awesome. And if you, have, if you don't have a place... Um, I, I would love to have you join. I, I just don't know there's a lot of football fans. Kenny's a baseball fan, and he's a heretic fan of that. He's a Dodger fan. So, um, that, you know, uh, but if, if you'd like to come and see our house, warts and all, because I don't know how much, is it getting, well, I guess it would be as clean as I make it. <laughs> She's making dinner. I should clean the house, okay? Um, but I extend an open, open invitation. Uh, take a step. Let me pray. We'll worship. We're going to celebrate communion together. And uh, 